Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Amen. Good to see everybody this morning. Glad you're in God's house. We're going to be looking in a familiar place this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 23. And uh, we're continuing our re-church series where we're re-investigating what it is to be the people of God on the earth and what sets us apart and what's distinctive to us. And so we're going to take a a look at Psalm 23. This is a psalm that is probably in on a picture or on a wall in everybody's house or at grandma's house or somewhere. This is probably the most pas- popular passage of scripture uh, in all of scripture. Um, this is replete. Whether you love the Lord or don't know the Lord, you probably know Psalm 23. But there's a lot going on here that I just really want to dive into. There's a transition in this psalm that I've seen that, is, uh, that really is, I think it's an unlocking of what it is to follow Jesus. Um, I believe that um, there's something of the life of the king that when we spend time with him, we're not just spending time with the king, but the king is imparting his life into us. And slowly but surely, we're being transformed into something other than what we currently are. But it starts so small and so humble, it's those who will surrender to that process in humility and begin to walk out this thing with the Lord that reap the benefits of the greater thing that God has for them. And, and, and so, so there's like this, this kind of testing ground that God has created where it would be hinged upon the, um, our ability or rather our obedience in just heeding the still small voice of God. And that as we continue to lean into that still small voice of God, God's doing something so great, it's bigger than what we could ask, think, or even imagine. But it starts so small, we kind of gloss over it and, and, and kind of miss it. And so, so when David is writing this psalm, David starts out as a shepherd. David doesn't start out as a king. He starts out as a shepherd. But he embraces the season of life that he is in to the level to know that God is partnering with him even though he's just a shepherd at the time. He knows that God is such a God that he would humble himself and enter into the situation that he is in at that moment. So there's no small moments with God. There's this thing about being obedient in the little things with the Lord that the Lord begins to take those little things and as you're competent and trustworthy with the little things, God will begin to give you the greater and bigger things of God. And this is what David is kind of entering into. David is being a shepherd and he's watching sheep. And this psalm of David is called a mizmor in Hebrew, which is, it's like a melody. This would have been a song. And not just a song, it's a song that is just echoing in David's heart and in his mind. Have you ever had a song stuck in your head? Yeah, it's like that. It's like the song that you just kind of are just singing under your breath or singing in your heart. And it gets so inside of you that it starts finding its expression. Even if you can't sing or not, you start singing it in front of people. Because it's so permeated in you that it has to just come out. So this is a, a mismore. This is what this is. This is a psalm of David. And so as David is, is being a shepherd, he's, he's noticing things about himself and how he's engaging with the sheep. And he begins to notice, he's like, wait a second here. As I'm watching these sheep, God is watching over me in the same kind of way. And if I'm a good shepherd, 
and I will risk my life for these sheep, how much more is God a good shepherd who is not willing to withhold anything from his people as he's watching over me? So everything in his life begins to be this partnership with the Lord that begins to unlock revelation about who the Lord is. So that's what's going on here. So this is Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry wasn't built upon rhyme scheme like, uh, you know, the, like American poetry typically has like some kind of rhyme and in its meter and in its cadence where it's like roses are red, violets are blue, fill in the blank, right? Something rhymes in there. Um, but the way Hebrew poetry works is it's parallelism. It's each line unfolds what it's like to be under the shepherd care of the Lord. So the Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean? I shall not want. You see what I'm saying? And so each line is unfolding what it's like to be in the shepherd's care. So this is a Psalm of David. So let's look at it. Verse 1, we're going to be looking at the new English translation. It's going to be a little different than yours. A little more straightforward, less poetic, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into the more poetic as well. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So here we're finding out something about this shepherd, of, of what it is to have him as the shepherd of our life is not only is he a shepherd, the same word for shepherd in the Hebrew can also be translated based upon context as companion. So he's not just our leader, he's our friend. So there's a vested interest in God in us that when he created us, he didn't create us to just shepherd and lord over us. He created us to have relationship with him and in that relationship begin to lead us into places of provision and care. That's why it's so important that we follow Jesus, that we lean into the still, small voice of God. Because when we don't lean into the still, small voice of God, guess what? You lack! How many of you ever zigged when you should have zagged with the Lord? <laughs> Do you have what you were looking for? No, you had to settle. So there's something about us becoming lowly sheep and humbling ourselves and saying, Lord, I'm going with you. And when you begin to create a history with God and you begin to serve him for 10 or 15 years of leaning into and serving him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you know what you'll find? You'll look back and you'll go, God, I never lacked anything. I never lacked anything. But every time you take off that sheep's wool and you start putting that crown on yourself, <laughs> every single time you're going to find yourself that through your own intellect and your own ability and your own strength and your own abilities that you always ran into a wall of lack. So David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't want for anything. Because his leading hand is leading me into places of provision. Verse 2, he takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing waters. Your version probably says he makes me to lie down 
in green pastures. So there's, have you ever seen a sheep lay down? I've never seen a sheep lay down. Uh, maybe there's some sheep people here and you're just prove me wrong. But a sheep, my friend had a sheep. He was in FFA. I know. He was in FFA and he had a sheep and I never saw that sheep laying down. The level of anxiety on this sheep uh, was, uh, it was, it was frightening. We had this game that we would play to where um, the male sheep of the group would actually chase us and try to like bite us and butt us. And he had a trampoline out in the middle of the pasture. And so the game was to jump the fence and make it to the trampoline before the sheep got you. Hey, I found this. I've been in church long enough to know sheep bite. Come on now. <laughs> you might not be a goat, but they still got some teeth. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> they butt, they bite, they do it all. Um, but that was kind of the game we played. But I never saw that sheep laying down. And I thought, what level of trust... And what amount of time must a shepherd have walked with a sheep where everywhere they go, they follow him because they know where every step that he takes is going to be a place of lush pasture provision and to make them lie down, that they are in place of such peace that they just lay down. You ever seen a dog lay down and then roll over and just, I mean, no just I mean, you're just like, what is going on here? Perfect peace. Perfect peace. Place of trust. <clears throat> Sorry for that mental picture that you got there, but it's just what it is. Everything about the American way militates against being still, spending time with the Lord, and making him lie down. You know what I found about the Lord? He'll make you lie down when you begin to start getting too far ahead of him. He'll make you lie down. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. It says, how can I lead people into the quiet place besides still waters if I'm in perpetual motion? Think about it. I mean, my goodness, just a, a random day for us. We're going to practices. We're going to games. We're going to this church event or that church. We've got this group, this meeting, and then plus just everyday stuff and then whatever. And it's just this perpetual motion that seems to happen. And they're not bad things that we get locked into. These aren't terrible, horrible things. But how many of you know that when we get locked into this cycle of busyness, the one that we neglect is usually not ourselves or our families. The one we neglect is the Lord. And He's the only one leading us into a place with no lack. He's the only one that cares for your soul. He's the only one that is leading you into a place of precious, pleasant pasture and peace like this is the place where God is leading us and when we neglect the shepherd's voice when we neglect our time with him we'll find ourselves in these places of doing good things but not having the supernatural energy energy or power to proclaim his name and to do what he's asked us to do and then the enemy's got us at that point because while we haven't fallen into gross sin, we've stopped operating in the power that the Holy Spirit provides and we're no longer supernatural. And so we become a people that are nice and kind, but we become a people that are powerless. 
A people with no provision. Why? Because we separated ourselves from the shepherd and from the place he was trying to lead us to. That this is what the Lord wants to do. And we've all heard, how many of you know there's a bunch of preacher stories out there? Y'all know preacher stories? And people preach them like they're true because they hear them and they preach good, but they're not true <laughs> if you do some research. Y'all ever heard the one where the shepherd breaks the sheep's leg and then throws it over his neck so it gets used to his voice? No shepherd's got no sheep, broken leg, wrapped around his neck, walking around. I mean, it preaches good, but it just don't practically work. So there is no uh, B-R-E-A-K, uh, uh, but there is a B-R-A-K-E, a break. And what they would do with, with sheep that wouldn't listen, do you know what they would do? They would tie a rope to the sheep's leg and tie that rope to a heavier rock where that sheep couldn't get too far out ahead until it learned what it was to hear the shepherd's voice and stay with the shepherd's voice. God isn't trying to break your leg, but what he will do is slow you down enough to get you to learn what it is to listen to his voice. And if you'll quit going the other direction and start following him, you'll begin to find out that the only place he's leading you is to a place of provision and to a place of rest and nourishment that the still waters that he leads us behind still waters this wasn't that um, it's sometimes thought that like here's rushing rivers or torrents and God takes them to a place that's still most of the time shepherds in this day were watering by wells so Jesus is taking us to a place where there's a well where he controls the amount of water that comes up and the amount that you get to drink. See, sheep in this context were much like camels. They could go long periods of time without drinking. But when they drank, they could drink up to nine liters of water. So they were guzzling. <laughs> but they had to trust that the shepherd knew the lay of the land and was taking them to a well. See, sometimes it looks like Jesus is actually taking us into a desert. But let me tell you this, Jesus knows where every well on the map is. And so if you'll keep following him, even through the dry places, he's leading you to a, he's leading you to a well. He's leading you to a place to be refreshed and to drink deep of him. Uh, verse 3. He restores my strength, or my soul, your translation might say. He leads me down the right paths for the sake of his reputation. That the idea here is that when God looks good, I look good. And when I listen to the Lord, I make him look good. And so God has got this tied unity in with his people like the sheep that as a sheep is a reflection of the shepherd the shepherd is a reflection of the sheep so there's an exchange a partnership that is happening here with as one is in charge he's actually showing the earth how glorious he is and as we begin to follow him you know what we're showing we're showing the earth the way 
We're showing the earth like what it is, what it looks like. And as we move into the still small voices, as we move into the passionate relationship with Jesus, we find ourselves not just inheriting this place of provision, this place of, of goodness, this place of nourishment for our soul, this place of mental, physical, and spiritual health. We find ourselves as we're moving into that place, we find ourselves showing others how good the shepherd is. That as we're going and following him, something is being imparted into us that's giving us great strength for our soul. And it's for the sake of his reputation. Many times shepherds in this context were hired and these hired shepherds were like these services that sometimes people would, would hire. And, and as they would hire these shepherds, they would make sure that these shepherds knew the lay of the land. Because they knew no matter what, if that shepherd didn't know the lay of the land and the sheep weren't taken care of and they didn't know where the pasture was, they didn't know where the wells were, that as they would begin to, to do that, it wouldn't just look bad on those shepherds that were hired. It would look bad upon the guy that hired them. So before they hired these shepherds in these days as services, they made sure they knew every part because what was on the line was not just their, the shepherd's reputation. It was the guy who owned the shepherd and paid the shepherd. So there was this, it was such a serious thing that they would know the paths and that these paths were leading people to know that shepherd knows what he's doing. This is a vested interest in, in this time. Verse 4. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, yours is going to say the shadow of death probably, I will fear no danger or evil. That the idea here is that there would be these dark ravines that the shepherds would, would walk through. And this would be the place where the predators would know that in this dark ravine, they couldn't uh, escape very quickly. So these, these predators would wait for these shepherds to begin to lead their flock into these dark ravines. And, and sometimes it was called like the shadow of death. And the, and the idea was is that there was such a dark shadow and such a darkness that you don't really know what each footstep takes. But the sheep has followed the shepherd in such a way and is so leaned into the voice of the shepherd that the sheep says, even when I'm in that place where the wolves and lions and bears are present, I don't even fear any evil because I've got enough history under these hoofs to know that if I can hear the voice of the good shepherd and I can hear his footprints, I don't have to fear any evil because he's with me. Because he's with me. And that Jesus is our good shepherd. And the one place to where there's no commentary really on the place of the dead in the Old Testament, you don't really know what happens after the afterlife. The shadow of death is the place where Jesus dies on the cross, gets put in a tomb, and for three days he enters into the shadow of death. And as he enters into the shadow of death, he completely lights it up and takes away the fear. So much so that when the Apostle Paul refers to death in the New Testament, do you know what he calls it? Sleep. He says, you're just taking a nap. 
Your body going on the ground? Yeah, that's just a seed. God's planting a garden. It's like the Lord is lighting up every single dark place that would shake us and bring us into a place of fear, and he's lighting it up. This is why Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, hearkens on Isaiah, the ninth chapter. Look what it says, Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. Get this, and those who sit in the region and shadow of death A light has dawned. So guess what? Quit telling people they're walking through the shadow of the valley of the shadow of death. There is no more valley of the shadow of death. Jesus entered into the valley of the shadow of death and completely lit it up and completely took away all the mystery that would lie behind the veil of death and says, you're entering into the presence of God. You're not entering into some mysterious thing where you don't know what's going to happen. You're going to raise from the dead the way the shepherd rose from the dead. And you're not just sheep. I'm turning you into something supernatural and powerful. For you are with me and your rod and your staff reassure me. So the staff was the implement used to help the shepherd kind of corral the sheep. The rod was like a club worn at the belt that was used against robbers and predators. That when the sheep sees the shepherd, it knows everything in its hand is aimed at my benefit and good, even if it's punishment. If you want to know if somebody or yourself is trusting the Lord, how do you see him when he has weapons in his hands? Many of us have bought the lie of the enemy that God is not for us, that he's against us. And that he's trying to keep us from some great, beautiful thing that's out there somewhere. And that God's a killjoy and comes in and just keeps telling you no because he doesn't care about you and he doesn't care about your feelings. I used to think that about my parents. As a teenager, these guys don't want me to have anything or do anything. And then I hit 25 and said, oh my God, my parents loved me. They actually wanted the best for me. I'm sorry I was so stupid in my engagements with you. And I'm like, they're like, what is wrong with this guy? And I'm like, it's like a switch flipped. It's like I understood that the rod wasn't for me, it was for the enemy. That the shepherd's staff wasn't to keep me back from something, it was to get me to something, to my promise and to my destiny. And that's what God's trying to do in you. He's trying to tell you no so that he can get you to the yes of your destiny. This is what he's trying to do. The weapon's not for you, it's for your enemies. Sometimes God has to turn it on you because you become his enemy. But God's wounds are always redemptive. (laughs) They're always aimed at my character and me becoming more like Jesus. So the sheep sees the shepherd come up with a staff and they go, Oh, he's trying to control me, I'm out of here. 
or sees him with a club, oh, oh, I knew it. I knew he had some bad motives. If I see my dad walking towards me with a gun, I know we're going hunting. We're about to have some fun. Why? Because I know the heart of the one in whom's got the weapon in his hand. It's not a stranger to me. It's my father. I'm making it as plain as I can. If you're not getting it, you just, I give up, okay? It's just like hell. Hell's not for you. It's for the devil and his angels. And you keep thinking it's for you. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to go to hell. Well, that's, that's good. But God's got way more relational journey to go than you just missing hell and making heaven by the skin of your teeth. Like he's got a prophetic shepherd journey for you to go on. And if you'll get over yourself and just take on the posture of a sheep, God's up to something so big that you can't even imagine it. And, and we get a little, um, we get a glimpse of it here. The same word in the scripture in the Hebrew, Shabbat, uh, the same word for um, rod is the same word for a king's sh- uh, scepter. So your rod <laughs> and your staff reassure or comfort me. This is not just a weapon. It's the same word for a scepter. <laughs> So we start finding out our king is not just a shepherd. He's a king. Now watch how this thing turns. Are you ready? Check this out. Verse 5. You prepare a feast before me. Now wait a second. We were sheep. We've already been into less pasture and had our drink. How many sheep have you seen invited to a royal banquet? If a sheep gets invited to a royal banquet, guess what? They're on the table roasted and cooked up. (laughs) So a lot of times it feels this way, right? It's like we're following Jesus and we feel like dumb sheep. And we hear the voice of the Lord and we're being guided by Scripture and we're like, man, I feel like a dumb sheep. This doesn't feel very significant. It feels like I could figure this out way better than God. And I could fast track this journey way quicker than this shepherd because he's taking me all, all over the place. I think I could take a shortcut. And we're always fighting that urge to not submit to being a sheep. But then David gets this glimpse of glory. He says, wait a second. We're not just following a shepherd. We're following a king. Then what is the king's destiny for me as a sheep. All of a sudden it takes a sharp metaphorical transition and suddenly the sheep is no longer a sheep but he's part of a royal banquet and he's sitting at a table. And he's not the meal on the table. There's a meal provided on the table that is separate from him that this common little lowly sheep has now got a seat at the table and is now at a royal banquet with the king. The sheep are the sacrifice, but our shepherd king becomes the sacrifice and lays out the spread and says, you're invited to come and sit at this table with me. You prepare a feast for me in the plain sight of my enemies. 
So suddenly, as us as sheep begin to follow Jesus, we find out this is a royal banquet, that I'm actually at the table of the king. And all those enemies that were aimed at getting you to try to stop following Jesus are now seeing you in your place of destiny and having to watch as you're at the table with the king. When they called you a dumb sheep, they got it wrong. You were a king or queen in training. And it looked like a dumb, lowly sheep, but the life of the king was being imparted into you with every step of obedience and with every moment that you were believing and walking in him that suddenly he's transitioning you to have part of his rulership, part of his uh, dominion, and to co-labor with him to help him rule and reign the world. So the next time you think, I don't know if I'm going to take another step because I don't think I can do this anymore. You've got to remember, where's the king taking me? He's taking me to his palace. <laughs> the shepherd king is preparing a feast before me in the plain sight of my enemies. And here's the reality of what's going on. He's not just setting this table up where we could look back at our enemies and go, Na, 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 I'm eating good, you're out there, you're a goat. That his heart begins to become our heart. And we realize there's too many empty seats for me to enjoy this banquet by myself. And that with the heart of a king, you would turn to your enemies and go, there's room for you. Too, that you would have the heart of Joseph and say, what you meant for evil only resulted in sending me to the table of the king. And there's room for you too. Because what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now watch this. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. You see how the motif completely changed? It's not the water bowl here. <laughs> it's the sheep has become a king and is sitting at a table. And he has a cup. And he has a meal. And he has a place. And not only that, the royal banquet would anoint every guest and anoint their head and to make sure their complexion would show the generosity of the king. <laughs> I know it seems weird for us. Like when we have guests over, we don't rub them down with aquaphor or anything. But, <laughs> but in those days, you know, you'd come in with dry, cracked skin, you know, and they'd be like, bring the olive oil. I don't want you sitting at my table and other people thinking I don't take care of my guests. <laughs> so God's got that big tub of aquaphor out. You parents know what I'm talking about. And he's just like, you, if you're going to sit at my table, you're going to look like me. You're going to look like me. It says my cup overflows or my cup is completely full. 
that I am in a place that is completely satisfied. And to the level that my cup can be filled is to the level that I've allowed space for him to fill it. And I think... Have you ever seen these cups these ladies are drinking now? They're like this big. Like they can barely hold it. And there's a straw that long coming out of it. And they're like, staying hydrated. And it's like, no, I'm pouring that out at the end of the day every time. But it's like, that's how we are. We, can't, we come into the king's banquet with our cup already so full. Let's get this over with. Oh, God. I'm already hydrated. I don't need anything from the Lord. I don't, I don't need to lift my hands and surrender my heart to him. <laughs> oh, man. Let me tell you something. You don't get to set the table at the king's house. There's a cup there that's empty. And to the level that you surrender to that emptiness, God will begin to fill your cup to the level it seems counterproductive. It seems like I need to show up with as much as I can possibly. No, you need to show up so desperate and so empty that God begins to open the floodgates of heaven. If you feel like a mess in here today, you're actually set up for a breakthrough because that's the ones that God says, oh, 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 good. They're empty. I can lean into them. I can show them intimacy and I can pour out my spirit on their flesh and they can begin to operate into this provision in this place that I've called them to operate into now watch so we're sheep and we were going through a valley of death and a circuitous path that was we were going all over the place and we're just just following this lowly shepherd and this shepherd has so put us in a place of peace watch this verse 6 surely your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all my days. If you were a sheep, you always had to be watching your back. You get too comfortable eating grass. You get too far from the herd. You don't stay close to the sheep. There's always this risk. But this sheep has enough history with the Lord under his belt that when he hears something behind him, he knows my shepherd's so good, it's got to be goodness and mercy that's running up and trying to catch me. That his whole paradigm has changed. That he doesn't have to look over his shoulder and think an enemy's back there that this shepherd is so complete and so pervasive in shepherding that when he looks back, he knows, oh, that's just goodness and mercy back there. Maybe I should back up where they can catch me faster. <laughs> you know, like what? It's like I remember when I'd get in my wife's car. Do you know where the rearview mirror would be turned? To the kids in the car seat in the back. I'd go to back up and be like, I can't see anything. <laughs> I was like, Shh. <laughs> okay, back up. But it was like every time my wife looked back, 
She wanted her eyes on her future. <laughs> and it's like the Lord, when we begin to walk with him, our rear view gets tilted that even when we look behind, we get a glimpse of our future. Okay. Now watch this, what happens? Goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all days of life. So remember, we're at a table. Now watch this last verse. And I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life. The word there is dwell in a lot of your translations. And it's the same word used for the only class of people who could actually live at God's house. And that was the Levites. So get the picture. Sheep, 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 sheep. Verse 5, I'm at a table. And now I get to live in the house of the Lord forever. God has taken me from a sheep and made me into a king and a priest. A king would exert and extend God's dominion in the earth. And the priest would be the one that unlocks his presence and begins to be a mediator of his presence to God's people. You thought you were just the dumb sheep. And God says, if you'll keep on this track, I'll make you a king and a priest. And you'll have a seat at the table and you'll never have to leave God's presence ever and ever and ever again. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. <laughs> so the next time you think, ah, God, this feels so dumb. Do it anyway. The next time you think, God, this don't make any sense. You know how lonely I am. You know how this or that's going on. Don't settle. Don't settle. He's trying to lead you to a place of provision. He's trying to lead you to a table. He's trying to empower you to be a king. He's trying to call you and turn you into a priest. But the marching orders, first you got to be a sheep. <laughs> you got to be a sheep. Got to be a sheep. But God will take your sheepliness and he'll turn it into royalty. And he'll turn it into a priestly class. So that every moment that you're with this shepherd king, he's turning you into a shepherd king and a priest. So I don't care how dark it looks. I don't care how deep the darkness is. I don't care how confusing. I don't care if in your own intellect you've said there's no provision if I go this way. What do you know? You're a sheep. You can barely bath. 
but you lean into the king's voice. And a day will come, I'm promising you, I'm telling you, a day will come when you're going to know his voice and you're going to be moving when he moves and you're going to be going when he goes. But you have to sign up to the army of sheepliness. You know, this isn't Rambo. This is sheep. Right? It's like that's God's mascot. But if you'll look in the book of Revelation, and I'm going way too long, but that's okay. If you look at the book of Revelation, 29 times Jesus is called the sheep or the Lamb of God. (laughs) And so when you read Revelation, who topples the kingdoms? (laughs) The Lamb of God. So it's like even our death results in a victory in the principalities and powers that topples kingdoms. (laughs) That brings us to a place with this king. So, who wants to be a sheep? (laughs) I want to be a sheep, right? I should have asked that at the first and see who raised their hand, and then I should have asked that at the end to see how convincing I was. Uh, Let's stand to our feet right now. We're in the Lord's army. And it's an army of sheep seemingly walking to their slaughter. But little do they know, we're actually headed to a banqueting table. And a crown's getting ready to be placed upon our heads. And we're going to a place where we never have to leave the presence of God ever again. (laughs) It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Lord, we just come to you right now, God, and we just say, God, we are sheep. And the way David was a shepherd and became a king, that's the one we're following. (laughs) Jesus, who became the good shepherd. Jesus, who became the good shepherd. And then the good king. (laughs) There's false shepherds trying to lead your people in this hour, God. And a false shepherd just wants to shave and take advantage of the sheep. But the good shepherd puts the sheep before himself. So, Lord, I speak against any false shepherd that has spoke some false pretense or lie over your people, God. We just say that we are serving the good shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. Our shepherd loves his sheep more than himself. That our shepherd is known by how much he loves his sheep. (laughs) So Lord, let us share in your heart. Let us share in your goodness. With every confusing step and path that we take, we know you know the lay of the land. And you're leading us to a well.
And you're strong enough to uncap any well if it seems to be clogged up. And if we show up at the well and it's empty, you'll just call rain down from heaven and fill it from the top down. That we lack nothing. We lack nothing. Just begin to thank Him. Just begin to lift your hands. Begin to worship. Just in your own way. Just thank Him. Maybe you went all week and you've not really thanked Him for everything He's done, everything He's led you to. Just start to thank Him. God, thank You for every divine encounter that I've had and will have. God, thank You for being so faithful to just speak to us in every single moment. God, thank You, Lord, for telling me no when I thought You should have said yes. Because that no led me to something better. (laughs) God, forgive me of my pride, God, and arrogance. Where I would say, give me the steering wheel. Get in the back seat, God. God, just lock me in the trunk and you drive. (laughs) That's how much I trust you. (laughs) Because anything you do is good. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.